The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. All right, welcome to Talk is Jericho, the pot of thunder and rock and roll. One of my favorite cowbell bass songs ever, Lowrider by War, which is the soundtrack for one of my all-time favorite scenes in any movie ever, and that would be the opening of Up in Smoke, the very first Cheech and Chong movie where Cheech Marin is outside lovingly polishing his El Camino to that song in the background. One of my favorite uh, scenes ever. One of my favorite moments in cinematic history, and we talk about that today with the man himself, Cheech Marin is here. Looks like two puppies fighting under a blanket. I went to his house in Los Angeles to record the interview. Uh, I was on a roll that week. I went to Gene Simmons' house. I went to Cheech Marin's house. Both of them beautiful places. Uh, Cheech had a better view, I'd have to say. He was right on on top of a canyon overlooking everything. And uh, just an amazing, amazing story. Uh, I ran into Cheech in the halls of the Opie and Anthony show about six months ago. Uh, and uh, we reconnected. We did the, the show Celebrity Duets back in 2006, which was one of the bombs of my career. It was the uh, Corsican brothers of my career, if you want to do Cheech and Chong terms. And um, it was a singing show where they had celebrities that sing uh, paired up with, uh, quote-unquote, professional singers. And Cheech and I did that show together and became friends. And, of course, that was back in the probably early days. There was no Twitter. There was just kind of cell phones. And who really you know, exchanges numbers. You exchange Twitter addresses nowadays and Instagram addresses and Facebook. But to run into him as he was promoting, I believe it was the Book of Life. I think it was it was a cartoon. And I was like, dude, this guy would be perfect for my podcast. And of course, typical Jericho fashion. I stayed on him. I got his publicist's uh, email and, and made it happen. So a really, really cool uh, reunion of sorts. Walked right into Cheech's house once again and... Uh, Cheech collects Latino art. So he had all these amazing art pieces everywhere, uh, drawn by, painted, I guess, by Mexican people and people from like 
uh, East LA and uh, South Central and that sort of thing. So very, very educated man. Great, great guy. Just super cool. He's wearing a shirt that had like a pot leaf on it and the whole thing. So you're going to hear his stance on the Juana. You're going to hear how he got his name Cheech. You're going to hear uh, Tommy Chong's original idea for their group name, how Cheech came up with the idea for the movie Born in East LA, why Cheech and Chong stopped working together, why they reunited, and what he thought he was going to do when he lived in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, if I can paraphrase my good buddy Lance Storm. You're going to hear the story of how he lived in Calgary, Canada for a while and even lived up in Banff, which is crazy. Very, very cool stories from Cheech Marin of Cheech and Chong. So stoked about this one. It was a great conversation. Uh, Not as stoked, but still very interested to hear what Dave Meltzer had to say about the... um, the, the the horrible tragedy that happened this past weekend with Pedro Aguayo Jr. He was in the ring for a tag team match with Rey Mysterio uh, in a, uh, it was a huge, huge uh, return of Rey to Tijuana and the return of Rey to uh, AAA. And just a simple spot. Uh, Pedro took a double boot in the corner, staggered back and took a flat back bump, stood up and did this weird kind of roll next to Mysterio, who then gave him kind of a mistimed head scissor because Pero was too close. Pero went to the floor, then came back in the ring, uh, and kind of sat on his knees, and then Ray kicked, drop-kicked him from behind to set him up for the 619. That was it. He, he stopped moving. So I could tell just from watching the, the video, and I did not want to watch it. It was very hard for me to watch um, you know, a video where you know somebody is dying or apparently as Dave will tell you, he didn't actually die at that moment, but very shortly afterwards. So to be able to, um, kind of watch this back and to see what had happened was, was very strange because everything that happened after he took the double boot in the corner didn't make sense to me. And knowing Ray, the way I know him and the way he sets up his spots and also knowing how great Pero Aguayo Jr. was, I think something happened uh, with that double boot in the corner that kind of sent him for a loop and uh, after that, he really didn't know what was going on. And just one thing led to another. So horrible, horrible thing that happened. It happened to Larry Cameron in Germany about 20 years ago. It happened to Gary Albright, I believe. Um, I think it was in Japan. or Maybe it was in Germany as well. And of course, uh, Misawa. I can't believe, you know, one of the the greatest of all time also passed away in the ring due to neck injuries. And that's kind of why Edge had to retire. They told him, you can't take one more bump. If you do, you could die. And anybody says, oh, that's over-exaggerating. Look what just happened with Paraguayo Jr. this weekend. Dave's going to tell us all about that um, in depth uh, with all the information that Dave has. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about WrestleMania, and uh, then we're going to talk to Cheech Marin from Cheech and Chong. But first, I got to say thanks to you guys and the great sponsors of TIJ. Couldn't be doing this without you. Easiest way to help support the show is to use my Amazon links whenever you do your online shopping. Okay, you go to podcastone.com, you click on the Keeper Podcast free banner at the top of the page, eh? then you hit the Talk Is Jericho button. Every time you use one of my Amazon links, Amazon kicks back a couple bucks to show. Help us cover production costs. Any country you're in, if you're in the USA, the UK, or Canada, you can go on the links for your different country, and you can help us all out here at Talk Is Jericho. You get the Cheech and Chong movies, especially Up in Smoke, my personal favorite. You can get Watch This Movie, the Cheech and Chong reunion uh, of their live shows. Shawn Michaels' new book, Wrestling for My Life, The Legend, The Reality, and The Faith of a W Superstar. Josh Gates' book, Memoirs of a Monster Hunter. Zach Baggins' books, I Am Haunted. Gene Simmons' book, Me Incorporated. Paul Stanley's book, Face the Music, A Life Exposed. 
So many cool things you get from all the talk is Jericho alumni, plus Fozzie's latest record, Do You Want to Start a War? My newest book, The Best of the World at What I Have No Idea. My new DVD, The Road is Jericho. I've had a pretty good year. I had a book, an album, a DVD came out. Got to hang out with Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons and Cheech Marin and Slash and Kevin Smith at their houses. You know, Stormy Daniels. I guess I'm uh, I'm pretty I'm a pretty cool cat right now. <laughs> anything you want or need, you can get it at Amazon links. Don't forget, it's not going to cost you anything extra. No hidden fees or challenges. If you happen to be doing some online shopping, please do it through my Amazon links. Help out this show in the process. You go to podcastone.com, click on the uh, click on the keeper podcast free banner at the top of the page, and you can bookmark it so you can set uh, so you can get those links in one easy click. All right. Um, I think without further ado, uh, I think it's time to talk to, to Dave uh, and find out exactly what he knows uh, about the uh, Paraguayo Jr. situation. Okay, so this past weekend had a, a very tragic accident uh, happen in the ring in Tijuana, Mexico, where Paraguayo Jr., who was one of the top names in, in Lucha Libre, probably in Lucha Libre history, passed away in the ring during a match with, with Rey Mysterio Jr., and uh, lots of questions, lots of lots of uh, issues happening, and lots of things going on. So I got my buddy uh, Dave Meltzer here from the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. Dave, um, good, good to talk to you, man. Let, let's talk about what happened. This horrible tragedy with with Paraguayo this past uh, past weekend. Yeah, I mean there was a it was, there was a tag team match. It was Rey Mysterio Jr. and and um, Tigre Uno um, or Extreme Tigers as, as he's known in Mexico against uh, Manic from TNA and. And Pero, and during the match, I mean, there was a series of incidents that happened over about 17 seconds, starting with a, you know, a, a Pero running into Mysterio's foot, uh, going out of the ring, coming back in. He was there to take a 619. I mean, if you watch the footage, nothing looks unusual as compared to any other wrestling match. I mean, it's not like uh, there's, you know, sometimes you'll see a match and somebody takes a bump really bad right. and then gets hurt. And it really scares you, and you don't really, that doesn't really happen. But as he's ready to take the 619, um, and actually was supposed to, Ray was supposed to miss that 619, um, but as he was, as he was, and Para was supposed to move, he just is there limp. Mm. And um, at that point, um, you know, everyone just went into a panic. Um, Conan, who was at ringside managing Para, was uh, trying to shake him because he thought it was like a concussion. Um, and the doctors came out, and he actually did not die in the ring, which we, we later found out is he was rushed to the hospital. And he died. He, it was uh, the the neck snapping was a, a cervical um, vertebrae um, trauma that led to a heart attack in the hospital that 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 killed him at about one one thirty a.m. You know, a couple hours after the show. So okay, so when you're saying cervical, what exactly does that mean? The, the term you just used again. Say that again. It, 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 I, Essentially, it's um, his his neck was messed up. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it was broken, um, and maybe it was. Maybe he even had damage coming in because I think uh, you know people. A lot of wrestlers have speculated, you know, like uh, with the idea of like what happened to Edge, just as an example. That you know he was he he had a, he had a pre-existing neck injury, and he was told, you know, if you um, you know if you take the wrong bump, and other guys have probably been told this. You know, you take the wrong bump. You could be paralyzed. You could, right. you could die, and and no one ever thinks that anyone does that. And per, and again, perhaps he came in with that injury not knowing. I don't know that that that's the case. It, it's it's a fluke thing because you know we watch wrestling matches sometimes with guys that try to do all kinds of things that are inexperienced and 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 can get hurt and, and often do get hurt doing them. And this was two pros doing nothing out of the ordinary. 
Um, it wasn't like, you know, people were at first thought like this is this, you know, it's well, it's Mexico and it's backwoods and there was no medical care. Actually, this show, they had a doctor there who was, who was, uh, he was, he was a little late because there were two wrestlers who were injured on the undercard that he was tending to. There were two ambulances there, which is unusual for a non-major league wrestling show to have an ambulance there, let alone two. So it's not like the precautions weren't taken. It was just one of those things, I guess is the only way to put it. Um, and it's the thing that's really sad is the coverage of it because this has gone worldwide because of the video being out and mm-hmm. Ray Mysterio's name and and it's you know a lot of the coverage has been like Ray Mysterio kills Perro and Ray is just going through a oh, horrible awful. time what, what and it's and, and it's it's just it's just it's really bothers me now the way that you know people you know that, that don't read the story or or read a bad story that that has gone around I mean I've had people go like oh my God you know um, Ray Mysterio killed Perro Aguilar oh. like. It's 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 so bad. It was it was just one of those things, and um, it was it's a horrible thing, though. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and knowing Mysterio, I mean, he's such a sweet guy. Definitely one of the nicest guys ever met in, in the history of this business, and I've known him since 1992. As of you, and the thing is, too, I, I watched this video. At first, I didn't think I wanted to watch it, but I think when you're a professional in this business and something like that happens, and it's not like Peril was a friend. I met him once or twice, but, but Mysterio is. And even if you didn't know anybody, this is the brotherhood, you know, and watching it. I mean, there was really nothing out of the ordinary. There was nothing careless. There was nothing bad. Uh, you and I talked about this earlier. He takes a double boot in the corner. And when he took that boot in the corner, that's where I think something happened because nothing he did made sense after that. The bump he took out of the corner he does a strange little lucha roll afterwards that leads to a mistimed head scissor, and uh, that because he was just too close, I think he was just supposed to maybe take that that double boot back up a bit, charge Mysterio, take the head scissors, set himself up for the six one nine, and then whatever happens happens. But when he took the head scissors, he goes to the floor for no reason, and then comes back in on his knees to kind of half ass set himself up for the for the six one nine. So nothing really made sense when you watch it knowing right. that something was wrong. Right, and you know that setup because you've wrestled him Absolutely. so times. So, yeah, I mean, that was, that was the one thing where you, would, you wouldn't understand. And that, and that um, yeah, the, the head scissors, I mean, there, there was something that had to be wrong with the head scissors because, again, you wouldn't take that so close to the ropes. Right. I mean, it was, it, that was mistimed, and it was a little bit awkward. I mean, it wasn't, um, you know, I mean, I've seen smoother ones, and these are two pros who know how to do it. So, yeah, I think that, that um, something did go wrong and it's probably where you said with the boot as mm-hmm. far as the starting thing. Never, nevertheless, it wasn't like overt or, or something no. that you would, you know, yeah. If you didn't know any better, you would just think, well, something, there's a little glitch and, you know, stuff happens all the time. And he was still set up uh, anyways. But So you were saying that, that, that the, the original plan was for them to move on the 619? Because there, there was like a double setup, both... both uh, Manic right, right. and, and Perro together. Set up in a move because they were they were only um, I don't know exactly how many minutes, but you know it's like six minutes into a match that was probably supposed to go a lot longer. Mm-hmm. So um, and then they rushed to the finish, and I know there's been a lot of criticism of the fact that they didn't stop it right there. And I mean they only went about another minute. Yeah, um, I mean they they went right to that finish, and you know it's like mm-hmm. at that moment. I mean it's it's like it's like all the guys. It's like at that moment. Um, you know what? What are you going to do? I mean, right. you could you, you could have stopped, but I mean, if you were if you were in there, the odds are you would probably go, "Oh my God, we got a tragedy. Let's go to the finish and, and get out of it." As opposed to just stop there and freeze. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you would think different. No. But at that point, I can't. 
you, you can't like blame anyone for what they're doing at that at that moment. Absolutely not. And plus, you don't know you you don't know if 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 he's knocked out, if he's gone loopy. Nobody really knows what's going on. So so the the kind of business as usual thing to do is somebody's hurt, just end the match. You know, if if it's if it's a single match and someone can't move, then you usually just end it. But for someone like that, you and me, let's just do the finish over here in the corner, and then we'll get out of here and find out what's wrong with Perro. They, they, I'm sure had no idea how serious the injury was because nothing really, like you said, nothing really happened. It's not like he got dropped on his head or did a tope and caught his foot on the rope and, and did a head first dive or something like that. So I, I didn't see anything along the lines that I would even think twice about as far as the way they acted once it happened. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's just been. I mean, the whole thing is is just a horrible tragedy, and I just. Um, you know, I hate, you know, especially with, with Ray yeah. um, having to go through this. I mean, it, it's bad enough that, I mean, right now Ray and Perro had known each other, and I, I couldn't tell you how long, but, I mean, I've seen pictures of them together when he was 15, so it's at least 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and they're, they're a couple, they're five years apart, but, you know, they were both, um, you know, Ray was the nephew of a famous wrestler, and, and, and Perro was the son of, a, you know, right. one of the all-time greats. legend, yeah. Yeah, so they may have known, they may have even met each other younger, but they were, you know, and, and they tag teamed up, you know, early on when Peril first started. And just to go through that and to be, you know, I mean, and, and even if you didn't know, if you were in a match, sure. just say you were in a match where something like that happened, I mean, it would, it would scar you in, in many ways anyway. But then to have the second phase where, you know, you're getting, I mean, literally, and I mean, I'm, I'm not making this up or exaggerating, he has gotten death threats. And he's gotten, um, you know, just people in, in, in Mexico and, and, and some in the rest of the world because it did go in English. And, again, this thing, I mean, I've seen news coverage in Russia, South Africa, Europe. I mean, it was a big story in the BBC. Mm. I know one of my friends works at the L.A. Times and said that it was the number one story on their website. I mean, bigger than the NCAA basketball or anything. And, and um, on Saturday, Ray, Ray's name was the most searched term on the internet in the United States, I mean, among not just sports or any, but any of any term whatsoever. So, I mean, that tells you that no matter, you know, I mean, there was a lot of people talking about this thing all over the world and a lot of people getting, you know, a, a warped idea of what really happened. Well, yeah, just reading a headline, you know, wrestler kills other wrestler in ring or whatever, I mean, which is so ridiculous, but most people don't pay attention to wrestling the same way that, that we do and that a lot of people do, and they're not going to delve into the actual details, but uh, let's talk about Perro Aguayo Jr. and let's talk about how big he is uh, in Mexico. This is the equivalent of like a, a a Triple H level star passing away in the ring. Like this is the biggest of the big. Is, am I right in saying that? Yeah, that would probably be a a, a close approximation. I, I you know people have asked me like you know and I and I think. One person, you know, I kind of said maybe Randy Orton, but maybe a little bigger than even a Randy Orton, so maybe a Triple H. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, he would have been, of the, of the full-time guys in that country, um, I would say, like on the, on the Rudo side or the heel side, he would be number one. For sure he would be the number one heel in the, in the whole country. And he's been, um, you know, he was, been a, he was a main eventer. I mean, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but he was in WWE at the age of 17 doing some shows when, he was, when early on when AAA and WWE had a working relationship. Wow. But... But um, and he was in the he was on the, the Royal Rumble card in '97, um, mm. and in San Antonio. Um, but but he had been I mean from very early on um, as a babyface he had been you know a, a, a top star. I mean you know by, as a teenager he was headlining you know all over the place. So it's it had a long run, and then I would say around 2000. 
three or so, he went to CMLL when they caught on fire, and, and him and Mystico, who later became the original Sin Cara in WWE, were, were the, the key guys in this huge boom period when they were doing 10,000, 15,000 people every Friday night at Arena Mexico. Mm-hmm. And um, the Perros del Mal were, were very much like the NWO. I mean, that was the group that he formed with Hector Garza, who also has passed away, who, right. who you knew. Yeah. And... Um, and Damien and, and, and Halloween, who you, you know all of those guys, actually. Yeah. Um, so they formed the, the and Psychosis. They formed the Perros del Mal, which they had the T-shirts were everywhere in Mexico, very much like, it was, it was, it was a lot like that, that late 90s period with the NWO and, and Austin shirts. Mm-hmm. I mean, you would see them in the general public. And I used to see them in San Jose. In that era, you know, people walking around with Perros del Mal T-shirts. And um, then, you know, after the boom kind of faded out, he went to, uh, he went to AAA, and he was their top guy, and he was... He was going to headline Triple Mania against Mysticis in a mask versus hair, I believe. Wow. And then he was going to go from there to uh, work with Alberto for their world, uh, Alberto Del Rio, Alberto Del Patron, as he's called there, for their world title. So, I mean, he was, he was the main event heel in that company. Yeah. He had been a main eventer, you know, since, you know, he's 35, but, but since he was a teenager, literally. What's the reaction been in Mexico? Has it been a mainstream front cover of the normal newspapers type of a thing? Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been huge, and um, you know, a, you know, a lot of television coverage, and a lot because of that that footage, the footage that you probably saw. I mean, um, there was there was um, footage from from the Tijuana because there was a Tijuana station that was filming the whole show because it was this was Rey Mysterio's first match in Tijuana in in God knows how long. Yeah, right. I mean, so and and he's from San Diego, but but he started his career in Tijuana, so it's like. That's another part of this story in the sense that this was a giant show there. Mm-hmm. And so, they were, so there was a lot of, you know, I mean, there was, there was the, the fans doing the footage and all that, but there was also a professional crew that was filming. And so, um, you know, they got all that, and they, they, were, they did film backstage. And, I mean, they, when they got him backstage, um, I mean, they, he was in that ambulance immediately. I mean, so it wasn't, you know, I mean, originally when you watch it and you go, like, it did take a long time to, to get... Um, the medical help out there, you know, a, a couple of minutes, and and you you know see everyone in a panic and everything, but once they did, I mean, it wasn't like you know like there was always a thing. Oh, you know, it took a half hour to get the ambulance. Yeah, and there right. was an ambulance there, and he was gone. And I mean, and the footage of him going out in the ambulance, which was very eerie, you know, it had aired on on some of the stations there. So, yeah, it, you know, it was it was big it's it's giant in the hispanic community for sure um you know they've uh, they had a lucha underground show the last two nights in la and you know they they did you know people were, were crying and there were signs everywhere and and ray and conan were really you know conan was conan worked the show saturday night the very next day in in, in la the lucha underground and i heard he was i haven't talked to him but i heard he was really badly shook up i i know that um just from reaching out to him that he mentioned that Perro was kind of his mentor, and or sorry, his uh, his protege, and he was kind of Perro's mentor, and had known him for all those years. And you know, what one other thing too to say is that you know Perro Guayo Jr. Uh, is the son of Perro Guayo, who is one of the probably top five most legendary uh, performers in, in Mexican wrestling history. So, so Jr. has that part of the lineage as well, in that his family's been so prominent for the last you know probably fifty, sixty years now. Um, so uh, let me ask you this: where, where does this go? As far as I mean, we had the, the the death of Masawa a few years ago, which was a similar thing. He just basically passed away from from this neck damage. Uh, thankfully, Edge got out before it was too serious, but he had a similar thing. 
Has has WWE kind of reacted to this at all from from what you've heard? Uh, Is this going to change anything about the industry moving forward? You know, the thing is, is like there's certain things where you go like, well, we 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 can't do this. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Or, Or or ban a move, but there was nothing. There's you know, it's like there's there's nothing really that you could do past. You know, I guess ex- examine guys next. So I mean, are those tests? We don't even know. Yeah. We don't even know that that had anything to do with it on, on this one. Right. Um, I don't think that there's anything that WWE is going to change. I mean, I know that there was there was a press conference yesterday in in Mexico where the the Boxy Lucha Commission, but they have to say something. They go, you know, we have to look into this and and all this. But it's like if if it was, um, you know, and there were some in, in moves on that show that scared me to death. You know, in yeah. preliminary matches because it was young guys who were performing probably before the biggest crowds they ever had, and because Ray was there, and and you know, but no, none of them got seriously hurt. But if somebody had gotten hurt doing one of those things, you could almost go, you know, right? You know, you know I mean, like they're, 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 the moves are getting out of control. I think mm-hmm. um, in in Mexico, not so much here, but in Mexico, they're really they're doing a lot of balcony dives and things. Um, it's insane, and yeah. So so, but but. You know, so if something happened like on that, you would go like, well, you know, you could tell the talent, you know, you don't do this. But it really was just, you know, essentially it was routine stuff by two yeah. pros, you know, that are not reckless or anything. It was, I, I don't know what you can glean from it to say, okay, what, what do we learn from this? I just don't even know what there would be. I, I guess the only thing I was wondering if there's some kind of a test, you know, I know they have the heart monitoring now and they're very stringent on the concussion testing. I'm just wondering if there's some kind of cervical test that you can do as well but like you said this might not even be anything related to that it could have just been one of those super freaky things that i mean there's really no explanation for yeah i mean i get i guess you know you could get you know neck exams or something like that and maybe maybe for wrestlers you know especially guys that have been in 15 years or more maybe it's one of those things where you know when you get a physical maybe you should you know ask Hey, just check my neck, just as a precautionary yeah. measure. Even though I feel fine, I mean that might be something that, that wrestlers could learn from. Um, but again, we you know we don't even know if that has anything to do with this. Right. That's just us speculating because we don't have an answer. And you look at that and you just go, "How did this happen?" And I'm still you know thinking about it. And it's like, really, I mean, you know, he he died from this. I mean, what? Right. He didn't even look like he should have gotten hurt from this. Are they doing an autopsy? Yeah, they are. Yeah. They are doing an yeah. autopsy. Well, like like we said, it's a tragic thing, and uh, and it, hopefully it, it, something like this doesn't happen. But it's sad that it happened with Misawa, then with Paro, two two of the biggest stars in the history of the business. But you know, our, our thoughts go out to him, and hopefully, like I said, I mean, hopefully we'll find out more with the autopsy. But um, just just to quickly wrap up, Dave, I mean, it's so strange that this happens um, in the week of the biggest show of the year. Yeah. Uh, what quickly uh, predictions for WrestleMania? What do you think is going to happen with uh, some of these big matches on the card? Well, I guess I'm going to say uh, you know the easy one would be to say Undertaker over Bray Wyatt. Yeah, um, and um, I mean Roman Reigns and Brock. I think it's you know I, originally it was it was certainly going to go with Roman Reigns. Um, it could it could change, but the you know the the key part of the Roman Reigns Brock Lesnar story is is what's Brock going to do because Brock has not signed a contract. I know mm-hmm. that they they really wanted him to sign today because if you look at it from their standpoint, um, you know you you understand this completely. It's like we're trying to make plans for WrestleMania, and right. you know if and he's in the main event now. I mean we could beat they could beat Brock Lesnar no matter what, but if he's going to stay. There's there's ways that you do it in a certain way. Maybe mm-hmm. he goes and comes out of it as a babyface. Maybe you know someone distracts him and he goes on to something else. 
if he's going to leave, you know, you got to do it. You've got to, you know, you really got to know what you're doing in the main event at WrestleMania right about now. Right. And, and so they're adamant about him signing, and he's adamant about not signing because legally, until I believe um, the first of the month, um, he can't take any offers from UFC. And he's got that. He certainly has the opportunity to go there. I don't know that he will. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he may think that it will, it will be better leverage to get a better deal to not go. And, you know, so it's today, today and like the next couple of days are a big deal when it Very comes important. To, to, to that match. And then, of course, Sting and Triple H, I think that depends on, um, really, Sting and Triple H depends on what they're going to do next. I mean, the, the, the idea is, is this, that it's probably Sting's one and only match, but my gut is he's going to be really, really over. And he should win. And if he's really, really over, and he wins, and it's and it's a decent match, and I believe it, I believe it'll be a good match. Um, th- there's no reason to not do another one if he feels up to it. I, 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 I know he looks great. Um, you know, he's he's 56 years old, so there there is that. But he, I mean, I, I saw him at SummerSlam, and uh, you know, I, I I didn't ask him this, but I was. I wanted to ask him. I go, dude. You know, where's your? You know, what fountain of youth are you drinking from? Because he really, he, you know, he he looks, you know, forty, yeah. whatever, forty two. You know, whatever. I mean, he he looks a lot younger than he is, and and he's in, and he's in shape too. I mean, he's 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 um, you know, I mean, people will go always wrestling with a t shirt. Look, he's fifty six year old guy. He's in really good shape yeah. for his age. I'm I'm sure he's going to come in on fire too. First time he's ever been in the WWE. I mean, it's the perfect scenario with Triple H, who's a great heel. In WrestleMania, in that stadium, so I, I think for sure he'll probably do more matches, and I, I think he has to win. You know, I think that's the yeah. reason why you bring a guy like that back. And um, what about the the kind of the two um, two dark horses for how about the ladder match and then the Andre the Giant Battle Royal? I don't have no idea uh, what they go with. I mean, I could you know when I'm looking at the guys who are in there, the, the really maybe the hottest guy in there might be um, Ryback. You know, because um, but but I don't know um, Sandow maybe. Sando's actually hotter. Yeah, yeah, he 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 could win. It's just a question of they 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 use him as a comedy guy. Yeah, he could he could win and throw out Miz. Well, I think he's throwing out Miz either whether he wins or loses. Right, right, right. I mean, yeah. I think that, that spot's like a guarantee on the card. It should be anyway. But yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good pick too. Um, ladder match. I mean, I'm 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 figuring Daniel Bryan. I think that's the right choice because the other mm-hmm. part is is you know, it it elevates the Intercontinental Title because you know like now the belt doesn't make the guy. The guy makes the belt. Absolutely. And, and 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 I think that it's really important now, um, you know, because they've really hurt both the U.S. and intercontinental titles, and to a degree the tag titles, but those two in particular. Mm-hmm. And I and I really think that you can do so much more with them. And if Daniel Bryan is as intercontinental champion on a six month run, um, I think we'll make that title to where you can headline arena events and you can put it second from the top on pay per view, and you put him against a Ziggler, and you put him against you know, and that just anyone you can put him against anyone and have that twenty minute pay per view match. Yeah. And and be like our childhood intercontinental championship match with Randy Savage and and whoever you know what I mean where it's just a show stealing great wrestling match and and Daniel Bryan can do that. Well, he can also main event the the one of the two crews with the IC tie, a championship exactly. on the top. I yeah. mean, I remember when when Angle and I were feuding over it, we were always the main event of of one of the shows, and it gives a little bit extra steam to a main event when there's a title at stake. And especially when you're over like Daniel Bryan is, I think that's the way to go as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm sure you'll be. I know you'll be there live. And uh, like I said, man, thanks for all this information about Paro. And and uh, hopefully we'll find out more when 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 the autopsy comes back. Okay. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Dave. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye bye.
All right. Thanks to uh, Dave Meltzer uh, discussing, of course, WrestleMania, which is this Sunday. And more importantly, the uh, horrible tragedy behind Paraguayo Jr. Like I said, I, I met him once or twice. I knew his father a little bit better. But, uh, you know, when you're in this business, you're a band of brothers. We all stick together. Uh, and whenever you hear something like somebody passing away like that, especially from something so seemingly simple. I mean, like I said, uh, I've taken that move dozens, if not hundred times and you know could just as easily have been me under the wrong circumstances or, or any one of us in the business so my heart goes out to the family of the aguayos and of course to ray mysterio as well you know this he was not to blame it was a terrible terrible accident and i got nothing but love and respect for ray mysterio always have always will so much love to uh to, to him as well so uh, my, and and you know let, let's let's bring it back up again because we've got one of the funniest men in in, in history uh, one of the funniest latinos in history uh, actually a true latino icon you want to talk about latino icons like Rey mysterio like paraguayo cheech marin is, is right up there and he's coming up right after this the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hey, well, you know what I do need, man. We've been looking all over for some smoke, man. Nobody has no grass, man. You got some? Talk is Jericho. Well, one day early in the day, I think it was the early 70s, me and Tommy Chong were on the road, and, you know, we have to get up early in the morning and take these little milk run routes, uh, airplanes, and, and we got on someplace in Texas, and... This guy walks in, and it's Dusty Rhodes, the uh-huh. wrestler. Remember a famous wrestler? He'd been right. wrestling the night before, and he had a scab <laughs> down the side of his face that was at least four <laughs> inches wide, and it looked like just somebody took a skin graft <laughs> off the right. side of his face. It went all the way down his face and, and, and down his, in his throat. I, I mean, you kind of look at it and go... Oh, uh, w- w- what's the story with that? Oh, I got dragged across the ring on my face. This is, remind me not to do that ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, and we were sitting, in, actually, it was a great story to start off. We're sitting in the beautiful home of Cheech Marin, Cheech Marin. Thank you very much. Thank you. No, no, please sit down. I was actually standing for that. And it's, uh, it's great. Uh, beautiful view. Beautiful house. It's nice. Thank Man, you. Man, it's like a yeah, true blue movie yeah. star place. We, you know? we, I lived in Malibu for 40 years and I had this house out there it was it was really far out mm, the mm. way at the end the very end of malibu and and had a lot of grounds it was like four and a half acres on the beach it was beautiful but it was like uh, i i got to the point where it was, it was i couldn't do the drive anymore it was mm-hmm. like you know just i couldn't do it and and all the kids are gone and so i needed something closer to town and and i i, I traded grounds for uh uh Smaller house, no bigger house actually, but uh-huh. but no uh, no upkeep. So I like that part. Plus, with the, this view in the back, Ooh, it's, it's like when you pull up in the front. It's okay. It's a beautiful house, beautiful area, but the backyard. It's, it's like you said, you got mountains, you got like the mountains, ocean, ocean, villagers down below. They, they bring in the <laughs> weed crop, you know. <laughs> I'm, according to the homeowner, uh, the the woman who runs the homeowners association, you know, she came up to 
do something because they had to take a tree out. She looks around and goes, you're the only one up here that's not growing marijuana. <laughs> be so cliched if you were, though, right? I know. <laughs> but you're wearing a T-shirt with the, with the pot leaf on it. Yeah. It kind of looks like, like the uh, devil horns with the pot leaf. Something, it's a cool design, so I decided to wear it. You know, chicks dig it. You know, so that, that's, that's still, yeah. is that still part of your, of your, of your life? The, yeah, yeah. If you that's know. kind of your whole, your whole life you've, you've no, kind of been in the scene? Uh, it's just, just the Cheech and Chong part of it. Yeah. You know, Cheech and Chong is like a separate entity that I... That I, I that I access, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, so we have all those. When we started coming back on stage, we had been not been on stage together in twenty something years, right? And so we came back on stage, and and it was like there's just a whole other alternate society out mm-hmm. there, and they'd been waiting for us to come back, and and uh, so we did. So it's all it's part of it, and you know, it's like you, the thing that's really kept show business, uh, touring show business alive is uh, uh, the casinos, mm. and they're everywhere, and there's, there's more casinos now than there were Indians when Columbus landed. <laughs> I'm not kidding, man, they're everywhere. You mean to go there and do shows, do performances yeah, at the casinos? At the, yeah. They're all Indian-owned, most of them. Gotcha. Indian-owned, and they... Uh, and they, uh, uh, you know, it's tribal land, so it's a sovereign nation, and they do whatever the hell they want. Mm-hmm. And uh, they all grow marijuana, all of them, all the chiefs, and then we could we come into those casinos, and they do these, like, ceremonies where they smoke you with eucalyptus and chant <laughs> yeah. and give you beads, and, and at the end of the day, they give you this big mound of dope. <laughs> so I, go, I love this. <laughs> There's your present. Yeah, baby. Well, you guys were, like, pioneers for, like, uh-huh. kind of the pro-weed thing in uh-huh. the 70s, but you mentioned something interesting when you said that the Cheech and Chong part of me, I mean, you know, playing a character, Cheech uh-huh. and Chong, you know, I play a character. But when you, were, when you weren't Cheech and Chong, yeah. was there still a, a big weed culture for just you? Or was it something that you kind of focused on just as the character? Well, you know, mostly as a character, but we were just like, we represented that kind of the foot, soldier, foot soldiers of that cultural revolution. Mm-hmm. So we were smoking as much weed as everybody, you know, mm-hmm. like, but not, not no more, no more or less. Um, but it was just part of the society. And everybody used to think that we were these radicals. And I kept telling him, no, we're, we're middle-of-the-road dopers. Mm-hmm. And this is the, the middle-of-the-road for America, whether you want to see it or not. We're, we're the, the middle-of-the-road. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and we tell them, weed has a lot of beneficial qualities. You use for medicine and, and analgesic and all kinds of things. <laughs> so finally we got tired and said, well, what if we're right? <laughs> Wouldn't that just take a patch off your balls? <laughs> well, because back in the 70s, you're only like 15, 20 years earlier, they were saying that, you know, reefer madness, it would drive you insane yeah, and want to yeah. kill somebody. So it was still kind of really taboo in, yeah. in the late 70s to be like smoking weed. You but know? this thing happened that happened to everybody that smoked weed for the first time, you know, because they've been told all their life. My dad was a cop, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and I was raised Catholic education. And, and uh, uh, they always tell you, you're going to smoke weed and you're going to be taking heroin the next day and you're down and you're going to be yeah it was the gateway prostitute. drug yeah, yeah male prostitute yeah. And, and so and so when you smoke your first joint you take that and you go and it takes effect and you go what else have they been lying about <laughs> because it's you know so that yes. that whole that whole generation of which I was the oldest mm-hmm. that baby born I'm the oldest baby born and everybody everybody wait a minute man this is this is all bullshit mm-hmm. that's what caused the revolution caused the how did that kind of become your guys's thing to where you were like the first comedians to really have it in people's faces like Cheech and Chong there's even actually a term Called cheeching. Yeah. Cheech, which yeah. if you're so high, you're isn't, cheeching. Like how, isn't that amazing? Yeah. <laughs> how well, cool is that, man? You coined the term. 
Well, we were just, we were musicians all our lives. Yeah. You know? So we came out of that musician school. And it wasn't like we changed from one thing to be another kind of comedian. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Carlin was like a straight comedian and he would sit and right. tie and he, and he played nightclubs and stuff. Uh, we started off on being those two guys with, with a lot of other characters started off in, with albums and, mm-hmm. and, and, and so, you know, that's because what, we were the age of that's what was the street culture. Mm-hmm. We didn't represent any other thing but that. But there was a huge, huge, huge culture. It's like the uh, the python that swallowed the pig, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that pig is going to move through the python <laughs> and be recognizably a pig <laughs> through its whole life. You know? That's right, that's yeah. right. How did you guys uh, end up hooking up as Jesus and John? <laughs> well, I was in Canada. I was living in Canada for three years during the Vietnam War. Uh, I was involved in the draft resistance movement really heavily, and they were after me. And so they wanted because you're from California. I'm from California, so they yeah. wanted to draft you. Yeah, they did, but they wanted to draft me illegally. So that was that was the rub. How was it illegal? Well, I was a student at the time. I was going to university, yeah. and and uh, I was involved in the draft resistance movement, mm-hmm. uh, headed by David Harris, who was married to Joan Baez at the time. And their philosophy was: in order to stop this war, don't participate. If, if you're 18, don't register for the draft. If you're uh, register for the draft, don't go and, 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 and be inducted. Don't go for a physical. Don't be inducted. Just resist. Mm-hmm. And that's how we stopped the war. And that's, we started putting that in practice, and they didn't like that whole bunch. You know? And so General Hershey, who was the uh, head of the draft at the time, uh, issued this uh, uh, declaration that, that anybody who did any of those things that we were doing uh, and demonstrating and doing provocative actions would be immediately reclassified from 2S, which was a student firm, I was in school, and classified 1A, they would be drafted and sent to the front lines. That was his, that wow. was his, that was his fix. And then they started, and they implemented that, that thing. So right in the middle of it, yeah, man, this was coming because the first guys started getting sentenced to eight years in Leavenworth. You know? mm, so like, right. I don't think Serious. so. And at the same time I was in school, uh, I, I discovered pottery. You know, my last semester, I, I took a pottery class just to fill up my uh, schedule there because it was this cute girl taking pottery. She said, <laughs> there you go. Why, well, hey, why don't you take a class with me? Oh, well, that'd be good. And and so I did, and I discovered my life's calling, man. It was pottery. Like, I had pottery. I was, no kidding. I was I was I was always thought I was an artist of some kind, but I couldn't paint or draw or any of that. I was sculptor, mm. but I got pottery. Start taking pottery, and and my Mexican jeans came jumping out. Man, hey, where you been? <laughs> you know, we we we. I, I gave my life over to pottery, and I. So you're talking about like the pottery wheel? Yeah, like I'm thinking wheel. of scene and ghost with uh, yeah, yeah. Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore making that. That's what you do. Exactly. Wow. Exactly on a wheel, and and I and I became obsessed with it. I quit my job, quit all my other classes, and just did pottery. And so, meanwhile, this this dual track was going on: the draft, resistance, and the draft and pottery. And my, my pottery teacher, who was knew my circumstances, he says, "Well, I got this ex student who's opening up a pottery up in Canada. Maybe he could use an assistant." So that was all I needed. I hmm. got on a bus and went to went to Calgary. And uh, no kidding, yeah, and, like, uh, I lived in and, Calgary. And started, for years. Did you? Yeah, 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 for about eight, nine years. Right? Really? Yeah, so I was in Bragg Creek. Oh, no kidding. Bragg Creek and Prittis. Prittis, yeah. Well, when I was in Prittis, there it was there was nothing there. I mean, it was there was no official buildings. There was no wow. nothing. It was like a, a house, 
that was the gas station, the post office, and the house of the people who lived there. Literally, right? Literally. That was the only kind of... You're kidding me, because I, uh, when I started wrestling, was in Calgary, yeah. and I lived in Okotoks. Oh, yeah, I know. Which is out kind of in that area. Yeah, Prittis sure. is like right down Okotoks, the road. There's nothing Millerville, there. Millerville. Yeah, Black Cochran. Diamond, Todd Cochran, Turner Valley. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How did you end up... That's where you were doing pottery, was yeah, there? Yeah, that was where this guy lived. He lived Prittis. in Prittis. You're kidding me. I mean, it was just fields. That's nothing there. There was nothing. There, there's the stuff there now, but yeah. there wasn't there... There was like, I got I got a job bucking bales and 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 no kidding. Yeah, and, I, and I made pottery with this guy. So he was setting up his shop. As How did you get across the border, by the way? Oh, the border was no problem. You oh, just, just get okay. just go across. You know, yeah. have a passport. You know, way to go. Um, getting back was another story. <laughs> so so was I, I helped him. He was Jerry Kaufman was his name, and he had a family, and and he was starting this pottery. So I came to be as an assistant, so I worked there for a little while, and when he got the pottery up, ready to go, but he couldn't afford to hire me, you know, mm-hmm. because it was just started in pottery. He says, but there's this other guy who lives in Bragg Creek, his name's Ed Drahanchuk, and he's a real big deal potter. He just won the uh, Bicentennial Exhibition Award that year, and uh-huh. it was like a big deal. So point me in the direction. Got on my boots and walked 11 miles <laughs> to, to Bragg Creek. Wow. And I walked up to his place, and, and he's, he's in there working with his wife. And, and I come up, and I said, hi, I'm uh, blah, blah, blah. And I started talking. I talked, talked, and talked. And he hired me. <laughs> and so he says, okay, go start cleaning those bricks over there. That's what I did. And I worked for him. For, and it was like this. It's amazing. Amazing. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. It blows my mind. I never, ever heard that before. Wow, really? Pritis, yeah. Pritis, yeah. It's Pritis I mean, I totally know that area. There's well, nothing. Well, there. Bragg Creek, when I lived there during the winter, there was nobody, nobody mm-hmm. there because it was a summer place. Mm-hmm. And the only people that were there were the people who ran the general store and, the, and a, a guy that ran the restaurant. And that was it. And there was nobody else there. It was just me. And you're like, I mean, I didn't. And a Chicano. And <laughs> a Chicano, yeah. <laughs> well, they thought I was Indian. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, chief, hop in, you know. <laughs> I'd be hitchhiking. Hey, chief, hop in. And then they would look at me after a while. You're not Indian, are you? <laughs> hey, no. <laughs> no, Vato, I'm not Indian. <laughs> you know? it was, it was, but it was great. You mm-hmm. know? So like, and I lived this kind of Japanese apprentice pottery thing in with this guy in, in Bragg Creek. Wow. And I get up in the morning when it was dark and walk to the thing and clean the shop and get everything ready and start practicing his forms and mm-hmm. it was great. You know, so I just you know, I lived in a little log cabin where I had to go to the river for my water every day and chop wood and coal and had a pot belly stove and I had was like sixty eight, sixty nine? Yeah, this was in sixteen wow. yeah. How, how how did the snow get to you? Obviously you never saw snow before. I'd never seen snow before. Yeah. I swear to God, I'd never seen snow before. And it was the coldest winter in 80 years in Alberta. Wow. It was <laughs> during the month of January, the high, the high was 20 below. That was the high in January. Yeah. It was 40 a lot, 50 a lot. And then one night it got down to 76 below zero. Anyways. And this is Canadian 76. This yeah. is Celsius. Yeah. It's, it's no, no, it's Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit. Sorry, it's Fahrenheit. Okay, no. Fahrenheit. Okay. Fahrenheit. But it was like there was no wind in the like, The smoke used to come straight out of the chimneys like it was drawn with a ruler, man. Was, oh, yeah. And we were living in the foothills of the Rockies. You mm-hmm. know? So it was like there was bears and deer and all kinds of shit, you know. <laughs> and I had, I had an outhouse. You know, so it was like trying to figure out. I always try to crap at work, you know, because I, I didn't want to hit in the middle of the, and there's bears out there, yeah, you know. Cause yeah. it, and, and, and so I'd have to, oh man, if I have to, have to do it, I'd have to go out the outhouse and take a dump, like, and have to go out with my shotgun. 
you know, on this, and it was 40 below, and try to sit on this wooden toilet seat, which you were just what, they would tear the skin off your ass, and then try to relax <laughs> with a shotgun here, like, looking for bears, man. Like, oh, man. It might have almost been easier to go to Vietnam. Man. I know. I was, I mean, there was a couple times I thought about it, <laughs> yeah, man. Right. Like, maybe I should just go in there. <laughs> and get shot or getting eaten by a bear. Yeah. Or, or freeze your ass in the <laughs> toilet seat in the outhouse. So after that, I, I, I left him after, after a while, and show business recalled again because it was the other place that was only open during the winter was the, the steak pit, and it was the, uh, a restaurant. You know, And the guy that owned it was a jazz musician, Gordy, Gordy Schultz. And he had this little dine and dance trio that used to play on the weekend, his brother and his sister-in-law, who's now his wife. And, uh, and I used to sing. So I'd go there and I'd sing with him. Oh, this is great, man. You should, you know, well, come with us up to uh, Banff. I said, okay, well, that's cool. So I go to Banff. And I was just there two weekends ago. Isn't that the most beautiful, beautiful place? It's beautiful just, place, man, yeah. It's crazy. So we, I went to Banff and then they were going to Hawaii to, and I couldn't go because mm-hmm. it was U.S. So, you know, so I figured I want to get back into show business because I was always a singer and guitar player. And, and, and you were singing a guitar player down here. Yeah, yeah. In, in California, Before, yeah, since which was, that was a boom period for music in oh, the late '60s yeah. around around this area. It was great. Everybody was down here. Yeah, I was. You know, I was in a zillion bands. And you know, did you ever gig with anybody that of any notoriety at all? The 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 band The Leaves came out of my fraternity, and they had this big giant hit, Hey Joe. Ah. Dun, 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 dun. Hey Joe, where are you going with that? They were, that was their hit. Like the Hendrix song? Yeah, it was before Hendrix. Oh, Hendrix. That's not a Hendrix. That's a cover. No, no oh, I didn't cover. know that. Yeah, yeah. So it was Hey Joe, and they had the big, hit, the huge hit out of number yeah. one. And they were from our fraternity, and all these other bands. You know, I used to have the little. Shows that I used to play with them all over, and I could sing anything. So the you know, rock and roll came in. Then. Did you hang out like at the whiskey or the Troubadour oh, yeah. in those places? Was, uh, yeah. You see the Doors and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, oh, yeah, all the time. The Doors and and the, the Grassroots. Yeah, yeah. How were the Doors? The were doors, they good? They were, great, yeah. were they? Yeah. You never knew what was going to happen with Morrison because mm-hmm. he would <laughs> he would do anything, man. Yeah. He would go nuts on stage, and man, like, <laughs> and they, but they were always great, and they played all these little. Joints on the strip, you know, the whiskey and the sea witch and the, and uh, the, all these other places. Because there was a ton of them back then. Yeah, they were all together. You Troubadour know, and, and, and you just well, the, we got discovered at the Troubadour Cheech and Chong. Really? Yeah, yeah. We used to. Uh, That's oh, funny because up in smoke is kind of you guys go back to yeah, the Troubadour for the Battle of the Bands. We right? go back to the the uh, uh, Roxy. Roxy. That's the Roxy. Right. Was, the Roxy was yeah. where it was, and and so we were when we came. Eventually, I went. I I I, I got. To Vancouver. Right, okay, so you went back in the show business. Yeah, yeah. So went, and then eventually, and Tommy was there. He's Canadian, mm-hmm. and he's from Vancouver. And he, and he, was, <laughs> he was running this <laughs> improvisational theater company in a strip bar. In, in downtown Chinatown, Maine and Pender. And it was like the worst part of the, still is the mm-hmm. worst part of the city. It was like... Oh man, it was rough. Really, it's a skid yeah. road, junkieville, you know, uh, all drunks, uh, prostitutes, yeah, everything. Yeah. And so he, but he was running, had, and and his family had the first strip bar, topless bar in Vancouver, mm. and it, was, it had pasties and little g strings and stuff like. Oh, okay. But he was running this improv because he had seen improv on on the road when he was with this Motown band, Bobby Taylor and the Vancouver's, which is, was his band. And he'd seen Second City and the committee and these improv groups. So that's what he wanted to do. Mm. And uh, he never spoke a word on stage with the band, but so now he's going to be an improv actor. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> and so he formed this little group 
with other his buddies. You know, one's a tap dancer, one's a vaudevillian, and there was a, and and the naked chicks and yeah. the four strippers. And so he says, okay, she so tells him, he says, okay, all right, you're not strippers anymore. You're actresses. You get naked, but you're still actresses, <laughs> and you get paid less because <laughs> actresses get paid less. Right. And so he started this thing, and they would do. Four hours of improv a night in this topless bar that for people that didn't want to see them, and then I came along and and I got introduced to Tommy and and they said, and so I got hired as a writer for the group. By okay, him. and so we started doing that, and so eventually I started doing all the parts, you know. But it was great. I mean, it was what it was. It was uh, hippie burlesque. Oh, yeah, right. You know, it was just as raunchy and you know sexually oriented and dope oriented. So we, that's where we started. We had the sex, drugs, and rock and roll thing in this strip bar eventually that went belly up and uh, so uh everybody wanted to go to the hills to get their heads together you know i had been to the hills <laughs> my head was together my pocketbook went so together and so we decided that we're going to form this duo and we, uh, but we were going to be like a lounge act we were going to i was like a smothers brothers sort yeah, of thing yeah. playing guitar and making playing jokes guitar, yeah. making jokes and doing bits and then but doing that legit music mm-hmm. Had a band. We went to the first gig, which was the Battle of the Bands at the at the Gardens. So you guys are actually good. we're going to put together a band. Yeah, yeah. A or band. Was it just the two of you. The two. Of, so we had a band. Gotcha. We, we got a drummer and a boy. Okay. Drum player so you want to be in a rock and roll band? Yeah, but we th- did these bits, mm-hmm. did this this vaudeville stuff. I go to the first band, first show. It was a Battle of the Bands, uh, and we didn't play a note. We started doing these bits. Everybody in the whole thing came right down to the front, and that's all they wanted. See, we won the Battle of the Bands without playing a note. <laughs> the guys in the band says, well, where's the next gig? Ah, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Here's the bad news, guys. And so, we, but, so then we came back to uh, L.A. soon after that. Because you either go to New York or L.A. Right, to, try to, to get in there. The only fly in the ointment is I was wanted by the FBI. So because at for this being time, on the run. For, for being on the run, I, for, by the time I was in Canada, I, I got draft, I got drafted, and I wasn't there when they said step forward. So, so what would happen is that you would have to go to the draft committee, and if they said step forward, and you weren't there, then you're automatically wanted. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, I was I was all wanted, <laughs> and not in a good way. <laughs> so, so what did you do? <laughs> it was so innocent in those days. You know, I said, well, how do I get back? I'll just use a phony ID. And so I got my friend Bill Knorr, who was kind of dark. You know, there wasn't a lot of dark people. And, and I used his, his uh, uh, driver's license with his picture on it. <laughs> and I held it up next to my face. And, went, and the guy looks at it and goes, okay, welcome, America. And I, I swear to God that's how it happened. I swear to God. We had a picture on it. It reminds me, it was like, how long have you been in Mexico? A week, a day, a weekday. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> totally, totally right. It's exactly. Oh, it's right yeah. from your movie. And How nervous were you going up there? Not at all. You just like whatever. Yeah, yeah. Right. I just like, hey, they'll, they'll never check. They didn't check in those, obviously. Like you said, how innocent it used it was, to be back was, then. And there was a war going on, and they were like, but it was really heating up. And so yeah. I, I come back down there, and I'm still wanted by the FBI. I couldn't go to my mother's house because the FBI would come by. Oh, they were watching her house? watching the house. And, uh, and so, you know, what am I going to do? So eventually, uh, uh, my case went to the Supreme Court. With it was a class action, six hundred cases about everybody that got mm-hmm. affected by this directive from General Hershey, <laughs> goes to the Supreme Court. They take a look at it and they throw it out. Get out of here! This is totally illegal. Blah 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 blah. Wow! So, so the next day, I get another notice to report for physical. They retrafted me. They tried to redraft me the next day. 
So you just got cleared of the first one. Yeah. Now they're trying to get you again. And they try to get me again. And it's because they're pissed that these guys got off. Yeah. And uh, so now I wasn't in school. I didn't have a 2S deferment. And so uh, uh, what am I going to do? When I was in Banff, I got introduced to skiing. Mm-hmm. And I was the first Chicano skier in Banff history. <laughs> And maybe ever <laughs> they sent me down. I had jeans on, you know, and the <laughs> boots. And, and my, my roommates got me up to the top of the hill. And they put, give me a, like a snow plow. Mm-hmm. And they said, okay, you turn left west this way and you turn right this way. And they pushed me off. Yeah. I'm going, how did, what happens? Fall. <laughs> <laughs> so I was going, so now I'm hooked on skiing. So I was, I was working in this thing where, where I, I had a job where I were up at the ski lodge where I was working a sunshine village where I didn't have to work in the morning. I was just that sunshine two weeks really? ago. Really? so funny. Was, I was just there. <laughs> just there. It's a great place. <laughs> great, yeah. And, 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 and so I, I'd, I'd get up in the morning, ski, and I had to work lunch. Didn't have to work dinner. Mm-hmm. And I had to work the after hours lounge making steak sandwiches mm-hmm. and escargot and fondue. And that was the only place to hang out, but the staff wasn't allowed to hang out there. Okay. Only me. Right. <laughs> right. To hit on all the little tourist chickies, you know? <laughs> and, and so... So, anyways, I would get up and skin. I was like on it, and, and I not no lessons. I just like was the brown blur, man, <laughs> down straight down. One Sunday, man, I come down at the end. And boom! I hit a bump. Uh, a bump got launched. Came down and broke my leg in half. I mean, like a compound fractures. I look back and my leg Ooh, was in a seven. Yeah. It was. Not it was good. bad, yeah. And so anyways, I was in the hospital for a month and blah blah blah. When I got out and I went to Vancouver, so I had this broken leg. When I go to the physical, so I got the x-rays from a thing, and I got a note from a, a medical examiner who had worked for the Air Force. Uh, this guy is, so I go to take my physical, and I'm standing around in my underwear with all these other kids, and the, the doctor comes on, and he goes, hey, you with the leg, come here. Oh, okay, and I come over there, I had my files, up, and he goes, let me see, what do you got? Show them the x-rays, and looks at me, and so he says, well, I got bad news for you. He says, you're unfit for military service. Bang! <laughs> Oh, really? <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll, I'll try to get over it. But, you know. <laughs> and I went out there, and it was like a lucky break. You know? oh, yeah, literally, literally. A literal lucky, lucky break. break. So then Tommy and I started doing Cheech and Chong in L.A. And the, the things that we did were, were, were the jobs that we had were, were all in black clubs because there was this whole Chitlin circuit in L.A. Mm-hmm. that he knew about. And I was raised in the black neighborhood. And, and so we knew that area really well. So we started playing all these little clubs in L.A., the York Club, the, the, the Mavericks Flat, the, the Total Experience, the Climax Club, mm-hmm. all these things. Because they paid American money, you know. Right, 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 right. All right. the white clubs wanted you to work for free, you know. <laughs> and so we went, we went over there. And then on Monday nights, we would go to the Troubadour because they had this hootenanny night. You mm-hmm. know, where you, it's like open mic night kind of thing. Right. And you get up there and do your thing. So we, we'd play there on Monday nights. And eventually we got to, uh, discovered by Lou Adler, who was a big record producer. He was the biggest record producer right. of his day. He had grown up in East L.A., so he knew what we were talking about. Go to his office, have a meeting. We signed that day and we started making albums. And it's funny too. It's like the perfect name, Cheech and Chong. No, it is. Now, Cheech is not your real name. No, it isn't. Well, it's had, a Richard. So is is that short for Richard? Chicha is short for chicharon, and chicharones are like <laughs> chicharons, uh, like snack. Yeah, that snack, the the fried pig skins, and they're like Mexican potato chips, you know. Yeah. And they're like chicharones, they're like you know, and so. 
And so when I was a little baby, like right born, and my, my uncle Bono looked in the crib, I said, hey, it looks like a little chicharron, you know, curled up, you know, like how babies are. And so that was my name in the family. Everybody oh, that's great. Chich- and then it got shortened to Chichin. But chicharron was always, you know. And so when we, Tommy and I were trying to figure out a name for the group, you know, because we there was two guys, we go, uh, <laughs> at first he wanted to call it uh, uh, our, our group name, in the in the in the junk we were, uh, the Shanghai junk we were playing was the uh, uh, the uh, uh, city works the city works. The, the city works that was the, the group the name of the group and so but now there's, there was just two of us so Tommy wanted to name it first uh, Tommy Chong because he wanted his name in whatever he did next so he yeah. couldn't be replaced Tommy Chong in the city works and I guess I was the city work because <laughs> <laughs> it was two of us. And I go, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. So he says, well, let's think of another name. So he says, well, Richard and Tommy. That was my name. My yeah. Richard. Richard and Tommy, no. Uh, Marin and Sean, no. He said, well, do you have a nickname? I said, well, my nickname is Cheech. He goes, Cheech and Chong. And that was it. And, and it was never Chong and Cheech. It was always Cheech and Chong because yeah. it sounded good. And it's the only other, this, this guy asked me, he says, do you know that you're the, one of only two groups who have a first name and a last name in the title. Hmm. You know what the other one is? Steels and Crofts. Who is yeah. it? Penn and Teller. Penn and Teller. Penn and Teller. Penn Gillette. Right. Yeah. Wow. Al Teller or whatever his name is. I wonder if they knew that when they were putting together the name. The, he's it's the one that told possible, me. right? Yeah. He's the one that told me. Because it's the same two. First name, a first name Penn, and the last. Cheech, yeah, yeah, yeah. Teller and, and So it was Chong. always Cheech and Chong. Because so it was, it was, we were like this... This thing, you know, there was a, as a Chicano lowrider hippie-ish, and and a, and a, a Chinese Canadian hippie-ish, <laughs> yeah. and we were the emblems of the hippie society. Yeah, you became the icons yeah. of the hippie society. Yeah, so I was like, it was, I thought that was perfectly American because that's what America looked like to me. That's right. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And so and so that's yeah, very diverse. That's what it was. And so we started making records, and then and your records were hugely successful yeah, before yeah. you even did a movie. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, we we made records. We had three number one albums in a row. It's amazing. I mean, our our competition was like the Rolling Stones and Led Zeppelin. So when you had a number one record, you were on the charts with with the rock bands, or was yeah, it on the comedy no, chart? No, really? Bands, yeah. So you're going above the Stones and yeah, Wings, and exactly. everybody else is happening we back stole, then. We stole we sold many more records than the Stones in the day. Wow. Yeah, because they didn't sell a lot of records. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but we sold a lot more. But we were three number one albums in a row. How did it catch on? Word of mouth? Or were you getting radio no, play? We, or? We, at first we got FM radio because mm. underground radio was the thing. Right. And that whole generation was switching over from, uh, 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 you know, listening to Top 40 to this underground phenomenon. And know? that's what FM was. It was that's almost pirate radio back yeah. then, right? And they were like playing album cuts and mm-hmm. all these weird bands like the Grateful Dead and they quit. Quicksilver Messenger Service mm-hmm. and Big Brother and the Holding, holding Company. Company yeah. And so they were playing all this, and then we, we fit in. And it started here in L.A. at the Mighty Met, KMT. And they started playing, our, and it caught on immediately. And it, In it was, California or all across the country? Well, as soon as it hit L.A., then it started spreading all over all over the country from everywhere, from coast to coast. And so we went. Like our first tour, we, we went. Opened at the Troubadour, mm-hmm. we got paid finally, <laughs> and and then went to New York. They bid her in the next thing, and they and it started booming from there. And then everywhere, everywhere we went. You're playing all the famous clubs. Yeah, yeah, all of them, every you single know? one of them. What was there? Um, like back then, you could have a DJ who would play something and would really push it. Was it was it like yeah, that? Yeah. Was there somebody that would really? Yeah, yeah. You guys got to hear this, and then it caught on from that. B Mitchell Reed. Yeah, <laughs> B Mitchell Reed. 
uh, here in town, the in fastest LA? mouth in the West. Yeah, <laughs> he, right at, at a KMET, he started mm-hmm. playing it and promoting it. Five more minutes to the next Cheech and Chong cut, and it's kind of caught on. And everybody's like, "What in the hell is this? Mm. Wow!" And then they would play the sequentially. They'd play the whole album throughout the day, and then it just exploded like, like gasoline and fire. Wow! And boom! And then it started catching on in other places. And, and so it started going. So we started getting booked, and we started, you know, traveling, and and all of a sudden it was a real underground thing. But underground was big. Mm-hmm. You know, we started really. You know, that was the deal. And and all the because every time we went to had a hippie town. You know, and we'd, we'd like a the, part of town that was hippie town, yeah, like Chinatown, yeah, hippie town. Exactly. <laughs> and so we'd, we'd tell the drivers, hey, man, take us to hippie town. And they all knew, oh, well, some parts it was like a half a block, <laughs> and some parts it was actually a neighborhood, yeah. you know. But, and then we'd go to all the hippie towns and, 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 you know, play all the clubs there, and then it was unbelievable. And they were, and they were packed all the time. And all we did is tour. We toured, we used to tour over 300 days a year. For eight years, man, it was like doing a combination of songs. We're still doing the sketches and the yes, improv and that sort of stuff too. And some playing music. characters, playing songs. Music yeah. was always a big part of our deal, you know. So we always had music, and so come. I think the album, the first time, was released in September, and it got to be October, and going in November. And Adler comes to us and says, "Do you get anything for Christmas?" You got, any, you got any Christmas thing? You got any, yeah, sure. We said, okay, what have we got for Christmas? Uh, and so we went in the studio and made up this story of Santa Claus and his old lady, and it had music in, and it was, it was, and it was that was, and we had an AM hit. Now, now we wasn't it? Was it called Santa Claus and his old the lady? Story of Santa Claus and his old lady, <laughs> and it and it was it was a number one hit wow. all over the country, man, on AM. Right. And so now. We, we, you know, you go, that's almost a crossover hit nowadays. Yeah, you'd call it. Oh, it was crossover then. Yeah. You know, it's like wow, and that one, and then, and then all we did for the next eight years is is tour and make albums and tour and make albums. And tour and make you know, it's funny because like like you take a song like Earache My Eye. I mean, yeah. that is a classic riff. Yeah. It really is. Every yeah. Rock for that fun. alone, we should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and we should be in the Rock and Roll Hall. of I Fame. I would not uh, dispute that in the least. Absolutely, there's, there's, I, I, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. There's, there's a million bands in there that aren't as worthy. I, yeah, I know. I you guys in Deep Purple. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> smoke on the water. <laughs> is that your riff, uh, Eric? Is that Tommy's yeah. riff? No, it was a guy named Gabriel Delorum. Oh, okay. And he was, he was part of our group in Vancouver, and he uh-huh. was this. Phenomenal guitar player. I've never heard a better guitar player than him of all guitarists I've ever really? heard. This guy was phenomenal. And, really? And he was funny and he was nuts and 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 he had had all uh, he came up with that bit and, and or that, that riff and he, and he played it for me in my kitchen in Hollywood one night. He says, You got it on an acoustic. And he goes, and like that's it, dude. That's it, you know. <laughs> yeah. And it was every. I mean, it's been recorded by. It's been covered four times. Oh, at least. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I mean, by big bands. Corn uh, did it. Corn did it. Uh, uh, Bank called Scatterbrain did it years ago. Cole, Cole, what's, what's that one from? C, not Seattle. Yeah, up in there. Chris Connor. Oh, Chris Cornell. 
Chris Cornell. Yeah, from Soundgarden. Soundgarden. Soundgarden yeah. recorded it. Yeah. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's, 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 a, it's like a Black Sabbath riff. I mean, exactly. It really is. We play it in between sets with our band. We, we really? have like kind of a 70s funk thing going yeah, yeah. on with like Cool and the Gang, and, uh-huh. and that comes on there. It fits so perfect. Oh. It's so funky and heavy. It's cool. Oh, thank you. Yes, it, it is. I mean, it's like, so we had that, all of a sudden, we started having these AM hits. Mm. Sister Mary Elephant was an AM hit, and, and uh, Blowed On and, and Basketball Jones. We had they were all yeah yeah number one AM hits, and so we had we were this is this thing. Man. So when do you take the next step to start making movies? Was that something that was in the works for a while? Yeah, well, we kind of got to the end of touring and like uh, we were worn out, and and I said, man, we, well, Tom and I both said at the same time, we gotta we gotta make movies. Mm. Yeah, we get, we gotta work. 20 hours a day instead of one. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and so we started uh, uh, writing a movie. You know, we took off at the height of our record and, and touring career and, and wrote, a, wrote a movie. And at the end of the year, it didn't come together, so we went back on the road. But then after a while, it did come together. We got a deal with, at, at Paramount. And we went out and made this movie. And this one, when our career was kind of mm-hmm. going down, all of a sudden, he had movies and... And it was a worldwide hit. Because there's a big segment of society that doesn't listen to music or comedy albums or whatever yeah. you want to call it, but movies, you were right in everybody's right. face. And But the thing about it, it was, a, it was a huge hit in the United States, but it was a big worldwide hit. Why do you think of that is? Because of that doper culture. Dope culture, Dope yeah. Dope culture was everywhere. Mm-hmm. And by that time, it had really spread. You can go to the remotest cave in the Himalayas and there's some, some <laughs> guy who'd go, oh, Eric, my eye, you know. Yeah. And, but it was, it was huge, huge. And a lot of people in other countries learned how to speak English from those movies and from the albums. Mm. You know, they would come up. You know, they come up to me all the time. You know, I was in Afghanistan or I was in Tokyo or I was in uh, Tel Aviv and, mm-hmm. and, you know, that. So I found, like, you know, I, I was pretty young maybe eight or nine or ten but i remember from watching it i learned a little bit about the uh about the latino culture and yeah, chicano yeah. culture because i grew up in canada yeah, winnipeg there's yeah. not a lot of mexicans up there you <laughs> in know the peg. <laughs> yeah in the peg right so i'll never forget i just watched it a couple months ago um it's actually funny like i said with my band we were on tour and you stop at a truck stop late at night mm-hmm. and they always have those movies like in the in the bike uh-huh. The book book rack yeah, yeah. and up and smoke was in there's like oh we got to check this out and we bought it for like you know eight bucks and man watched it like 15 times that opening scene where you come out with the low rider and you'll do a little dance and polish your car that's that's a classic that's a among classic, classic yeah. scenes ah, it's so be- it's so great it's, 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 it's it was all improv you know we had, we had a basic you know yeah chord chart basically you know okay c g and f and but how you played it and the rhythm mm-hmm. you played it that was how we made movies you know so but it was it was, you know, Up in Smoke is an American comedy classic. I agree. I, a worldwide comedy classic, whether it gets its due, but it does get its due. You know? I think especially yeah. now, absolutely yeah, it does. There's it. such, uh, not to be too uh, too pretentious, but there's such joy. Yeah. Like that scene of you, like it's, you're the happiest guy on yeah. earth. You got your car, you got the music, you got little, your little toucan yeah, from, yeah, yeah. from Calgary, yeah. you know? <laughs> that was it. You know? we, yeah. just, we just hit it. We used to call it making the Omni Burger. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, we learn how to make the Omni Burger by being on the road all the time. It's that burger that just has just the right amount of meat, right amount of tomato, pickles, onions, all that, and the bun. And, just, and that you could, it tastes just the same in Calgary as it does <laughs> in Tampa, Florida, yeah. as it does in Chicago, because you have to be in those places in consecutive nights. Right. So how do we do this joke or this thing, this thing that 
everybody gets it the same. Mm -hmm. So that was what we built. It's a universal connection. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Did you have a lot of, uh, was there like protesters or anything like that because of so much of the dope culture no, thing? No, no. It was cool. Cops were our biggest fans. <laughs> My dad was a cop. Right, you said uh, that, yeah. LAPD. What did he think, your dad? Oh, he's giving me more of those free albums. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding? That was his entree into the little juvenile delinquent community because he, he was uh, he was in uh, juvie all the time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, hey, hey, you ever heard of Chicha Chung? Yeah, yeah. Oh, My son. son. Come over here and talk to me. Tell me what's going on. You know? <laughs> Give me more free stuff. That's always, that was his mantra. <laughs> but yeah, all, you made so many movies in a short period of time. I think probably six, five or six movies six within movies like five or six years. Yeah. Uh, and all of them kind of had a similar vibe. Did you yeah. feel towards the end of it that you were getting kind of a little bit pigeonholed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's at the point where I said, hey, come in, Tommy, let's kind of turn this just a couple of degrees in another direction. And, come, and he didn't want to do it. Mm. And, and what it was, it, it, was, it was a... He, he felt that it was a threat to his leadership, you know. Mm. And it was just two guys. It was right. me and him, man. You know, it was this ego thing, you know. You get that, though. Yeah, Interesting, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, the partnership yeah. becomes more about one, but it's yeah. really not. Yeah, and it's like, you know, we have this good thing going on. It's like, uh, and I got a, I got tired, you know. I got tired mm. of that, that, that argument. Playing that same yeah, character, yeah, playing, really, right? Well, yeah, but having the argument. Oh, gotcha. It, you know, like, it was like, so it's both, so he he moved to France. He was living in Paris for almost three years, and there and and uh, we after we made uh, Corsican Brothers, and he stayed because that was a little bit different. You tried yeah. it was that was not a drug quote yeah. unquote movie. It was a, and I, I didn't dig it that much. But, yeah, but but we wanted to do something else and something with more content in it. Mm -hmm. and anyways, I came back and I was in L.A. and I was going through a divorce at the time. And, you know. Like, Life was not, so. It was just when MTV started, and I start and I saw it in, in in LA, and I go, perfect. This is perfect for us. These are little short movies mm -hmm. which we can make. It's their music, which we're musicians, and it's funny. We can make video albums, and just like you have a record album, right? Video albums like seven, eight videos, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And we saw my God, I was all excited. And I called Tommy up, and Brandon, well, you're in the video, I'm in the film. Oh, you know, not understanding. Yeah. I, okay. So, but, so I ran out and scrounged a record deal from Irving Azoff. He saw, and then, and I, and I, I needed one more cut for the album into video. So I'm sitting there in, in my kitchen, and 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 Born in the USA is playing, and I'm reading it in the paper. This article about this young kid, Mexican kid. He was like 13 or something, but he was American. He's born here. And he was in the wrong place at the wrong time in the immigration raid and got caught. And they didn't believe that he was an American citizen. He was, there was some form where he was retarded a little bit and mm. couldn't explain. And they took him they took him back to Mexico. And his parents didn't know where he was. And they took him he had no proof that he was Nothing, American. You know, yeah. And so I said, as I'm listening to this song, I said, yeah, he was born in East L.A. And it cracked me up. And I went, wow, I got this. Is, this is it. So I just sat there and started writing that. I had to even go to the record store to... To pick up a copy of Born in the USA because I didn't know what the words were. Right. You know, I didn't know I just Dude. kept remember he's born in the USA. <laughs> that was all I know. As most everybody. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so right. uh, I got, oh, this is about the Vietnam War and the soldiers returning. This is really cool. So I wrote the song and then I had to get 
so I went and recorded the song, and that's when Tommy and I really broke up right then during the recording of that. Really? It was like yeah. a distinct breakup. You go your way, I'll go mine, go after yeah, yourself. Well, I, I wrote this thing. I had the book, time booked, and we were kind of, he was, and I had, I was working on this album, and he was kind of participating, mm-hmm. you know, maybe not. And so I had booked the, the session for the, for the recording of the song. I says, well, come on. And so I waited for him and waited for him and waited, and he didn't show up and call him. Was, hey, man, we're waiting. Said, well, that's your song you wrote. You, you play it. Mm. I said, well, you're not going to come up to us? No, no, man. You do. Mm. Okay. All right. Oh, yeah, that was it. That was it. So I went and recorded both. I recorded him and his part and my part. And the record came out. It was a huge hit. But at the, before even the record came out, uh, I, I, I got this deal to do a video package, like like what I wanted to do, a, mm-hmm. a video album. Mm-hmm. And, and, blah, 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 and, 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 I, and so I, I did the... Uh, uh, the video for it, and he wasn't in the record, so he wasn't in the video. The video was a huge hit. Went huge too, yeah. Went huge too, and then so at the same time, Frank Price, who was head of uh, Universal, who had made movies for them before, got shown the video by Irving Azoff, who was, and he looked at says, "This is a movie." Wow! And so he calls me and he says, "I want to make a movie of this, but I just want it to be you, because it's a separate thing." And, mm-hmm. Okay, and that was it. Like, yeah, and that was it. I was, I was, I was happy to kind of do my own thing. It was time. Yeah, you know, it's like when you're with somebody for that length of time. And just, I don't care who they are. Mm-hmm. It was Jesus Christ and Moses. You know, it's like <laughs> you just kind of. Well, enough. you're married. It's a, it's, it's a long marriage. Yeah, a you know, long yeah, absolutely. Marriage. It's funny what you said because around that time, that's when Weird Al Yankovic was super huge. I mean, you guys totally could have fit in that kind of funny yeah. video parody song type totally. market yeah yeah totally yeah that's interesting and it's, and it was okay so well i it was i think it was time it was just what we were supposed to do at the time you right know? so so did, did, was this did you, did you guys not talk or do you were still friends no we didn't talk that was much. it that done. was it you know yeah, i needed space I, I asked him a bunch of times and we were doing the uh, uh the video package and i says well here look I got these videos that I, you know, kind of written. I'll, I'll do these, and, I'll, and you direct the other, the mockumentary part. Mm-hmm. And no, I didn't. Didn't want to do that either. Did you find um, after Born East LA, you started doing so much stuff? Was there ever any kind of stereotyping for you, like, oh, that's the dope guy? Or oh, uh, at first, mm-hmm. yeah, because after after that, because Born East LA didn't have any dope in no. it whatsoever. And so, but it was still a very cheech-like role, though. Yeah, besides yeah. the dope, right? Exactly. Yeah. And so, my goal was to do anything that didn't have a big joint in it. <laughs> I was like, I'll do anything. You know? and, and you know, uh, typical of how Hollywood works. You know, the studio that, I, and it was a big hit. Bernie Stone was, yeah, it was a big hit. I saw it in the theater. And 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 they said, oh, we love what you're doing. We we get your vision. We want you to do this movie with a, a cop and a dog. And I, what did you? <laughs> and then it was like it was hard to get, you know, because you didn't go along with their plan. Mm. It was hard to get any kind of studio backing for any kind. Wow! Of, and I wanted to con- continue on that that path, you know, be like kind of Woody Allenish and right, like, sure. And they go, no, cop and a dog, you know, yeah. and uh, it'll be hilarious. Yeah, it'll be great. You know, it's undercover cop and an undercover dog. How do you? God, so so then they got real spare in there, you know, like. Well, and the thing that saved me was animation. I get a call from, oh. from Disney, and they want me to come in to do, try out for this voice of Oliver and Company, you know. And like, 
So, and there you go, well, okay. And this is just when Disney was really starting to gear up to make these big animated films, where they hadn't before. It was kind of like... Right, with stars as the voices. Yeah, stars, yeah. and the, the whole deal. And, and this was Oliver and Company. It was kind of a retelling of uh, Oliver Twist. Oliver Twist, yeah. And, uh, and so I got in there, and, and there's this guy, George Scribner, who was the director, but he was Panamanian, spoke Spanish. And, and I went and did this voice, and, and, I, and I finished, and I went out in the parking lot, and goes... That really sucked, man. I, I, I didn't do it. I went back in and said, I want to do this again, man, because mm. that last. So I just really gave it a lot. They loved it, put me in the movie, and I was on that movie for about a year and a half because they kept expanding the part because this little Tito the Chihuahua was like a dynamo, you know, and, and it came out. And then the movie was a huge hit. Mm-hmm. And then I started doing animated flicks, and that was had nothing to do with Cheech and Chong. It's funny, though, because your normal voice, I mean, you have a, a little bit of a Chicano accent, mm-hmm. but when you put on the, you got the total Mexican voice. Oh, yeah. Hey, Duen, are you knocking, but you can't come in. Like, yeah. that was your voice that you were kind of using yeah, all over, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, like, electrified. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey. This guy was on 110 all the time. Right? <laughs> and, and so then, then other stuff started, and, they started, and then Katzenberg, Jeff Katzenberg called me and wanted me to do Lion King. Mm-hmm. He actually wanted Cheech and Chong to do it, but Tommy wouldn't do it because he didn't want to be Disney, man. Said, wow, all right, okay. All right, dude. Hippie till the end, right? <laughs> yeah, you kind, of, you kind of reached the end of that one. And, <laughs> yeah. We're 40 now. And so, <laughs> and so we, I stood then, you know, cars and all that. But yeah, that's become a great, almost second career for you. Oh, yeah, You've probably done a dozen done, films. Yeah, we've done a lot of them, and, and, yeah. and really good. And then, and then I started, you know, doing. And then, uh, then it was real fallow again for a long time. And I was like, ah, what do I got to do? And then all of a sudden, I started working. You know, I started working with uh, 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 Robert Rodriguez. I was going to say that he's really put you in almost everything that he's done. Yeah, I've made eight movies with him. Yeah, and and then it was at the same time. All of a sudden, I got all these gigs in a row, and it was like uh, I, I did this one, The Great White Hype, mm-hmm. with uh, Ron. It was a Ron Shelton script, and mm-hmm. uh, Reggie Hudlin directed it, and Samuel Jackson, and everybody was in it. It was not the story of Don King, basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then at the same time, I got uh, 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 Desperado mm-hmm. uh, with Robert, mm-hmm. you know, because I'd met him before, and we talked. So I was going back and forth between those two movies, and then then I got Tin Cup. And that was a huge, another big one, yeah, huge deal because it's a big fat studio movie with a big Costner, fat, yeah, cost big fat movie star, A list director Ron mm-hmm. Shelton, and and uh, and then on the and then Don Johnson was in the movie, and Don I know for a long time, you know, we were young actors in Hollywood yeah. together, and and we had you know adventures, and uh, <laughs> and, it's, and so we he was in, and he was the last guy to get cast, you know, because they were looking for that guy. And, and so we did one scene, and he, and, and broke for lunch, and he looks at me, and he goes in his trailer, and he comes back out, and he says, I'm making this TV show, and, 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 and here's the script, and I want you to be in it, and I want you to be this guy. He gets killed in the first scene, but eh, don't worry about that. We're, we're not going to do that. But, and, so, and so then I was in Nash Bridges. Nash Bridges, that was a long time. For six years. Yeah. I went from the set of Tin Cup to the set of Nash Bridges, and then... Do you find, I mean, especially with, with, with you're talking about working with Robert Rodriguez, mm-hmm. and he's very much uh, you know, Mexican-American, and he's mm-hmm. very uh, uh, proud and projects that. Mm-hmm. Do you find that, like, we're talking about you were a pioneer of, of the dope culture in uh-huh. the 70s, also a pioneer of, like, the Chicano. Mm-hmm. You were, like, the biggest, yeah. maybe even to this day, like, yeah. the biggest American-Mexican star that I can think of. Yeah, well, there's others. Uh, George Lopez is, is Right, George, yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. And maybe, is, yeah. where's Antonio from? 
Uh, Antonio Banderas. He's actually uh, from, he's Spanish. Well, Spanish. Okay, he's so forget Spanish. him. But I mean, but you were like one of the first guys. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I found that when like you know Robert puts you in those films, it's almost a sign of respect. Like we have to have yeah, exactly, him in this. Yeah. You know, it was cool. I love working with his, him in his movies. The best role was uh, from Dust Till Dawn when you were the barker for the Diddy Twister. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember? Do you remember pussy, your pussy, pussy, pussy. Come on in, pussy lovers. You want white pussy, black pussy, yellow pussy, red pussy, hairy pussy, slippery pussy, nalga hide pussy. I knew that from from my youth when we used to go down to TJ to mm-hmm. Tijuana, and that was I, I saw that scene. Oh wow! A zillion times, Barker's in front of those strip bars in Tijuana. Really? And that was exactly the line. I mean, it was I was word for word. And so when when that movie came about, we were doing a table read. And 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 Robert and Quentin Tarantino, I think who wrote the movie too. Yeah. And they were there, and and Harvey Keitel was there, and they were going to have a table. He says, "Listen, but there's going to be a lot of people who are not here. Can you do a couple parts, three parts?" And so I said, "Yeah, so okay." So I did a bunch of parts, mm-hmm. you know, to, as well as mine. I didn't bet him. And then I got home, and by the time I got home, there was a message from Robert and Quentin, and they said, "Hey, listen, we want you to do three parts." That's right. In this in this day, <laughs> oh, you must be a pussy lover. <laughs> Yeah, but you else, what else did you play in that? You were like a, I was a border guard. A cop, right, right. And then I was the bad guy at the end who kind of comes and rescues That's the, right. the, the thing. Yeah. And then you turn into a vampire, too. I and mean, you right? turn into a <laughs> Oh, that was, yeah, that was, wow. That was, he was the barker, but he was a yeah, vampire. Yeah, he was a vampire, too, yeah. Well, the thing was, I was in between, I was doing another movie or something at the same time, and I had to go away and I come back. So I was playing these three parts, so... In between, I shaved off my mustache, mm. and it's the first time I'd had the mustache off in 25 years. Yeah. And so I came back, and nobody knew who I was. <laughs> I swear to God, I went up to Julia Lewis and started talking to her. And, go, and she kind of like, you know, just weird. buzzed me off, man. Like, yeah, this? It's me, Cheech. And so I was like, oh, that's, that's interesting to know. And so then I, then I shaved the mustache off. Mm-hmm. And then I, was, I was this other guy. Yeah, and, and and it was good. And with the great things, I could go to Disneyland, you know, and that lasted for about a month. But and it was that was so iconic, though your mustache. Yeah, it was it was the thing. What was your reasoning behind shaving it? Well, I was doing these three roles. I gotcha. Okay. And the one guy didn't have the. I had to make some separation. Yeah. And and was I, it hard? No, I was ready for it. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I went to Disney. I could go to Disneyland with my family and not be. Right. bombarded yeah, yeah. you know because it's I have a really really recognizable face I don't know why oh, yeah. it's like people can the best one was I was in New York and I was doing a movie down there and I was coming I was living in Tribeca uh-huh. and it was out there for six months and I was coming home late at night it was like two or three in the morning and, and it was raining and I had my collar up and I had down and my, you know, I was just marching to try to get and I looked down this alley and this is this is old bum down there like I passed out and he looks at me and goes chicken chong <laughs> As I pass by, and I go, this is the weirdest thing I've ever experienced in my whole life. <laughs> he said, you don't even have a TV. He's yeah. seen a TV before. Chickatong. Chick- <laughs> I said, so that happens whenever I go out. You know, mm-hmm. just really, and so all of a sudden, I, nobody recognized me for like about a month or two or something like that, you know. And that was great. <laughs> and it really was great. But I mean, you're, and I'm not just saying this, but you're a legitimate, like, Icon yeah, in entertainment. Yeah. 
you know, we were talking when we were. We should uh, paid more, but <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about uh, last time I said about people getting tattooed, getting Cheech and Chong tattoos. There's a whole site now on on the internet, CheechandChongTattoos.com. Go in there. And there's a zillion of them. And if story went, they used to come to the shows. Mm-hmm. And after we would do a meet and greet after the show, and they would sign, and they started showing me their tattoos. And at first, it was really spooky. Yeah, I mean, creepy, right? Yeah. yeah, and it wasn't like a little uh, thing on their fingers, man. This was things that, like as big as their chest. Yeah, total back piece. Every everything, and and men and women, and and after a while, it's like wow. So I started photographing them all. Yeah. And and it still goes on. You it's know, amazing, right? Like, that's commitment. It is. It is. Yeah, like, <laughs> I'm fully expecting for somebody to show up with a whole cheat face tattoo one day. Right. Your face tattoo. And to, on their face, face yeah. <laughs> I'm, I swear to God, it's going to have a mustache and everything. And it's going to happen. <laughs> it is a little creepy, though. It right? is. Yeah. It, I, I like it now. It's not yeah. creepy now, but it was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Especially when it's a bad one. Yeah. When it's a good one, but you see one that kind of looks like you, but a weird version. great ones, man. There's some really, yeah. really grouse right after, but there's some great ones. What is it? You said CheechandChongTattoos.com? Yeah. That's where you can go check out? CheechandChongTattoos.com. Go, yeah. go there, and, and, and it grows every day. There's people send in their tattoos. Oh, that's great. You know? But you, you have such a diverse career, and we've talked, I mean, just in a nutshell, with all the stuff you've done, you've written children's books, mm-hmm. too, and all these things. You've been working pretty much since, yeah. you know, 1971. Yeah. So, obviously... You're probably a lot like me. You don't do anything unless you really want to do it, yeah. unless you're happy doing it. Yeah. And now after 25 years, whatever it was, Cheech and Chong, get back together, go back out on the road. Yeah. I saw your movie. It was a couple of, watch this movie, I think it was yeah, called. Yeah, yeah. Super funny. You guys are doing some of the same bits. And, uh-huh. you know, what kind of led to that? Was it uh, something that you felt was the right time? Yeah. I think uh, I knew we'd do something somewhere along the line, mm-hmm. but it was always, we all had problems, you know. Mm-hmm. The movie was, doing another movie was a real problem because of who does what and, and you know. like. Well, I'm not saying this out of school and you don't even have to comment on this, but from my point of view, you were always still at the top and, and Tommy yeah. did a few things here and there, but it was like you kind of always never stopped working where he kind of yeah. disappeared for a bit. Yeah, well, you know, that happens. Yeah. But what he did in that interim is develop the stand-up act. Oh, him and by himself. So he was going he back went out road. and did all clubs and gotcha. stuff, and then his, brought his wife into the picture, and she learned an act and everything. And uh, uh, so, we, you know, that that went really. Well. He had all the sense. And when we got, I knew that there was a big audience for it because I was told all the time by mm. people coming up to me on the street, "Man, when are you guys going?" Right. And so, the the live act was something the the, the least of our arguments. You know, we didn't fight because you either go on stage and the joke's funny or not funny. You yeah, know? Like, yeah, that's yeah. it. You know? And so we said, and so everybody, his kids, more, uh, Tommy's different kids, try to get it together. Uh, and try to us, get you guys together? Yeah, get us together. And, and <laughs> cranky old. He used to call me first. Yeah. Calling him. So he came out to visit, and we still had gotten in arguments. But his son. What did he came to your house? Or? Yeah, yeah. He oh. came to my house and I told him everything I wanted to tell him. <laughs> Forever. Which you have to. Yeah, you, you have to. You got to clear all the yeah, like, shit out, right? It's like, you know, here's the deal, dude. Yeah. And you can either go with it or not go with it. I don't care. Right. And uh, Did he tell you the same? Well, he didn't have much to say. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> and so he says, you know, if you want to. So, anyways, he gets home and, and Paris 
he says, Paris, his son asked him, well, how did it go? I said, well, I don't think it went too well, you know. Mm-hmm. So Paris got back on there and, and got us to come and, and do it together, and this is what we would do. And I knew it would be a big hit because mm-hmm. the people had been waiting for it for a long time. Old so, fans and new fans yeah, and a chance to see you, yeah. And the thing is, like, Cheech and Chong audience gets renewed every mm-hmm. three or four of years right. when those kids get to be 13, Absolutely. 14, 15, right now. They, they see the movies. They may even check out the albums. Well, you mentioned the Stones, you know, way earlier in this conversation. It's the same thing. It's cyclical. Yeah, the Stones yeah. aren't 70-year-old men. They're an institution. Yeah, and yeah. it's the same with they Cheech and Chong. They don't even have to have any new product. Yeah, it's just the Stones. Cheech and Chong. And so the funny thing that cracked me up is when we announced we were going to go do a tour, and even all the DJs, and they go, what are you going to do on stage? <laughs> and I looked at him, what? Yeah. What, like you're gonna uh, go out there and do a movie or you smoke a joint on stage? Yeah, what do you? What do you? <laughs> well, we'll just come and find out, you know, because like, we had the stage act that that's all we did, right? You know, for years you could do years the same years. bit you did in 1972 now, and no one would, did, no one had seen it, yeah, basically, right? And it, was, it was, and it was weird when we first started going out, and it was like it was like a big, huge deal, and you know, it's gotten beyond control when drunk white guys in suits are trying to climb on the stage, you know. <laughs> Like, throwing their underwear at you. Ah, Change. Yeah, look like the manager of you know, the, the advertising agent drunk his ass. Ah, I swear to God that happened. Man. Like, oh, these people are these people are insane. Man. Where was your first show back? Ah, uh, Ottawa. Ottawa. Wow, uh, up in Ottawa Canada and then Toronto. All right, to those two and Toronto played in. Uh, uh, my favorite hall in the world, Massey Hall. Oh, Massey Hall, and classic, it's, yes. It's, it's amazing. See, here's the thing, too, and you will understand this. Making movies is great, and TV is great, and it's awesome, but is nothing like being in front of a live audience yeah, and getting that audience. instant gratification. Ooh. That must have been pretty cool yeah, for you after all those cool. years, right? I, I missed it. Yeah. yeah. I really missed it. You know, it's like when I was making Nash Bridges, I think the fourth year or something like that, I got invited to be uh, in the Sam Shepard play. Mm-hmm. And he came, it was this new, his new play, he right. wrote it, and he was, was going to come and direct it. And we were doing it for like six weeks in this theater in San Francisco, and it was a big all-star cast. It was Sean Penn, Woody Harrelson, and wow. Multi, and me, and, and uh, Jimmy uh, Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy and Sheila Towsey and and it was a big big deal and so and all these guys you know when you have the playbill come out and says and this Sean Penn worked in this and, this, yeah. and, and all this and, then, and they always have these all these stage credits some yeah. stage credits yeah. you know so I, I put mine and this is Cheech Marin's first play I had more stage experience than all those, all those guys, guys put together. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I just wanted a handicap there. You know? It's great, though. It's like I, I've made a career off of low expectations. Yeah, exactly. Like, I didn't think you'd be that good. It's like, oh, thank you. Oh, yeah, Meanwhile, you knew. You're so kind to say that. Oh, you're so good on stage. Yeah. I didn't know. Well, you know. Well, yeah. I know. I, I love the material. <laughs> I just feel it. Yeah. <laughs> so it was that. You know? Yeah. But I, then I realized, man, I really missed this. I really missed it. Because I, I knew how to do it. I was good on stage. Mm-hmm. Like, Stand man, you can command an audience, man. You know how to. Did you guys write some new material for the? Yeah. For, yeah what, how was that getting back down really, to writing? Really again? good. Man. It was really good. Once you got through the bullshit, it just fell back yeah, in place, once, right? You know, it was scary. It, it scared me because we, in the first gig we played, we were kind of thinking of doing this. Was we went? Tommy had a gig already at this uh, the comedy store in La Jolla, mm-hmm. down by San Diego, and he says. 
you know, come on and be on the show, and I won't announce you. I'll just do a, uh, you know, you come a special surprise guest and come out of there. All right. We talked about a little bit before what we're going to do. Just talked about it. Didn't mm-hmm. do it. Just didn't. Okay, we'll do this bit and the bat. You know how to. Oh, okay. So comes comes the night and he says, I want to invite a guest. I haven't seen him in a while. Plays well. I came from the audience. It was like. The Red Sea party, man. It was like unbelievable. And, but the unbelievable part is we got on stage and started doing these bits, and it was like we'd been off for 20 seconds, not 20 years. Hadn't forgotten anything. Like it's just, and, and that scared me, man. This is part of my DNA now. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was like, that's right. I'm not getting rid of it. This is it. You know? <laughs> is this something you guys are going to continue to do? Yeah, when, yeah, yeah, for as long as For as long as you can. For as long as there's casinos. <laughs> <laughs> That's Final question, Cheech. I mean, you've done so much great stuff. If you had to pick like a, a favorite movie or, or part that you've played, could you choose one? I don't know if I could choose one. Yeah, you know, I, I think Up in Smoke. Yeah, you know, by, yeah, because it was it was exactly as you say. It was like there was so much joy in that. It's you're making your first movie. Yeah. You can only make your first movie once. Once, yeah. And it's like getting laid for the first time. It might not be the best, but man, you're finally home. You know, you're finally in. You know, it's like, yeah. I guess this is the guy. It's great. You, know? you never forget it, right? Never forget it, man. So that was, you know, was it. It's a classic, man. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, man. It's hey, been great. Mr. Jericho, my pleasure. All right, brother. All right, brother. Hey, I've been smoking since I was born, man. I could smoke anything, man. You know, like I smoked that Michoacan, man, Acapulco Gold, man. I even smoked that tight stick, you know? Hey, it looks like a Led Zeppelin, man. <laughs> Thanks to Cheech Marin for sharing the story of Cheech and Chong. Some good laughs on Talk is Jericho. Cheech and Chong back together again and touring. They've taken their music and stand-up on the road. My mom and dad told me that they told me how to live. But I don't listen to them because my head is like a sieve. How could you not want to see that live? Much better than my rendition. they got a bunch of dates coming up starting June 12th in New Orleans. Just go to CheechandChong.com and go check them out if you get a chance. One of the greatest comedy duos of our generation. And thank you for Cheech Marin for being here. And thanks to you guys for, for listening and supporting the great sponsors of Talk is Jericho. Wouldn't be able to do this for free for twice a week without my sponsors, Arctic Ease, DDP Yoga, DraftKings, Vegas.com, of course, Amazon. You can find all those links at podcastone.com. You click on the Keeper Podcast free banner at the top of the page. You help us out in the UK, in the USA, the Canada. A. Every time you do your online shopping, uh, we get, Amazon kicks back a little cash to the show so we can keep doing this for you for free for twice a week with no extra fees, all hidden challenges. You're just helping me out in the process. If you go to podcastone.com, you click on the Keeper Podcast free banner at the top of the page then you hit the talk is jericho button uh so many th- cool things coming up i want to tell you about some fozzy dates before we go here after the cinder block party european tour was a huge huge success uh the best numbers we've done especially in germany last night in germany in Bochum was sold out belfast was sold out dublin was sold out nottingham was sold out london was sold out uh glasgow was uh, sold out and the other shows were all jam-packed and even some of the smaller shows Bertel in switzerland and paris smaller crowd
crowds, but still came to rock. We had a great time. Every show was a blast. Uh, now we're bringing it back to the States. We're playing uh, Johns Creek, Georgia, which is basically the Atlanta area at 37 Main. It's a beautiful, beautiful venue. April 24th, 2015. April 26th, we're going to Welcome to Rockville in Jacksonville, Florida. Then May 18th, Concord Music Hall in Chicago with Slash. May 21st, Stubbs at Austin, Texas with Slash. May 23rd, House of Blues in Houston, Texas with Slash. May 24th, Southside Ballroom, Dallas, Texas with Slash. Those are going to be tremendous, tremendous shows. Get your tickets early. I think these shows are going to sell out. I think some of them already have. August 9th, Heavy Montreal in Montreal, Quebec. And then, of course, October 30th, we set sail on the Kiss Navy with Kiss and the uh, the Kiss Cruise, which is so, so amazing, so huge. So uh, go to FozzyRock.com for all upcoming gigs. i got a lot of other things cooking right now. Can't wait to spring them all upon you, including a special surprise next Monday night. But uh, another surprise for you uh, on Friday. One of the biggest stars going into WrestleMania. The perfect way to kick off WrestleMania weekend. Yes, yes. Yes, you got it. Daniel Bryan on TIJ this Friday. If that is not uh, the biggest news you've heard, then you're going to have to just say no, no, no. But it is. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, boy. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcast1.com. That's podcast one.com. Bye-bye, Lardass.